This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course, novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers to name just a few, plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com slash hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret White. Terry Brooks. Sheena Kamal. Matthew Quick. J.T. Ellison. Walt D. Williams. Brad Ford. Corey Doctorow. Brandon Sanders. Robin Mom. Ernest Klein. Jim Butcher. Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Amy E. Reichert on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called The Kindred Spirit Supper Club. And, and I'll tell you what, Amy, this book was so timely uh, for me in, in ways that you probably didn't mean for it to be um, when you wrote it. And, and as we... Uh, talk about it. I think other people will know what I'm alluding to. But this book was so much fun. And, you know, as we're, you know, finally warming up and getting into spring and summer, I, I think this is a must have for people uh, to have in their to be read pile and sitting beside their favorite reading chair. What a fun, great book. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for such lovely words. I'm oh. so thrilled that it that that it connected with you. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and and thank you for taking time to come on the show today. Uh, Amy, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, <laughs> well, thankfully, it wasn't as long ago as a lot of other authors. Growing up, I never, ever dreamed that I would be a novelist. It wasn't something on my radar at all. I came to it very late in life. I was um, staying at home with my children, and they were just about at the age where they were going to start going to school. And I knew that staying at home wasn't going to be something I wanted to do long term. So I started looking at what I wanted to do next. And uh, I had previously been a technical writer, which is as far away from creative writing as you can possibly get. I wrote the phrase, click the OK button more times than I care to remember. <laughs> <laughs> and we had actual discussions about whether it should be click the OK button or just click OK. <laughs> so those were actual meetings we had. Um, so uh, I was at the time involved in some online chat rooms and people started talking about this thing called NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. Oh, yeah. And it was just like a little light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of fun. What would I write about? Well, I really liked, I, at the time, I really loved romantic comedies. I liked um, happy endings. And I loved, of course, Nora Ephron movies. 
So I started playing around with this idea about a chef and a restaurant critic, and it was set in Milwaukee because there just aren't a lot of books that are set in my home state of Wisconsin. And I wanted, I thought, well, let's set the story there. I think it's an interesting place. And it took me five years of learning how to write, improving revisions, querying, then getting a book deal before that little idea that I had became a real book. So that's kind of how I fell into it. So to your question, which was the earliest memory, um, I probably was me in a Harry Potter chat room going, huh, that might be fun. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, I, I take it, though, that you were a, a fairly bookish kid. Um, oh, were, yes. You, yeah. What, what were some of the first stories that really, you know, oh. took you to another place that, that so, let you know that stories could just transport uh, you to anywhere? I have very, very vivid memories of my oldest sister, who's 10 years older than I am, reading their way back. I mean, this was in the early 80s. Uh, the Hobbit had the very bad animated version done by Rankin and Bass. Oh, yeah. uh, but they had made an illustrated book version of that. And so my sister read it to me and I had the pictures to go with it. But that was the first long story that someone read to me. And the whole idea of this magical place with hobbits and dragons and dwarves just really captured my imagination. And she read it to me in first grade. I read it back to her in second. And sort of that's that was the beginning of it all. Before that, I was always, you know, I had my picture books that I would read repeatedly but that I think was my first I'm going to a different world experience and it's still one of my favorite books I've ever read well and uh, and I think I understand that you're you're still a, a pretty big fantasy fan is that right oh heavens yes <laughs> <laughs> I love science fiction and fantasy I love 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 I every few years I have to reread the Lord of the Rings um, having the, the movie versions is just a delight to go back and revisit, but I do, I love reading fantasy of all different kinds. Um, I just wish I had more time because these fantasy series, you create this world and of course they can't write just one book in it. So they end up having these giant multi-tome series and who has time to read that? Oh, I know. I, I, I shudder to think at all of the different versions of of the Lord of the Rings book series that I bought, you know, with, okay. with each, each new collector's edition. We just won't talk about that. And, and then, um, uh, the, the movies, uh, we bought the original series on VHS when they were first coming out. And then we bought the DVDs. And then of course they had the director's cut, the extended edition. So you had to buy those and, and then Blu-ray came out. Well, you gotta, you can't watch, you can't watch, you know, regular DVDs on a high def TV. So you no. gotta buy all the, Oh Lord. It's, I uh, know. And then now it's all digital anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so now I'm, I'm eyeballing. Well, now the TVs are 4k and well, the, oh, yeah. Any, anyway, that's, <laughs> don't go down that road. There be dragons. And there, there be very big dragons <laughs> that probably right. talk. Yeah. So, you know, that, um, uh, have you ever tried writing science fiction or fantasy? I, I know that you're um, like the kindred, kindred spirits supper club is, is, is not uh, 
science fiction or fantasy, although it does dip its toe into fantasy a little bit. Um, uh, ha- have you ever thought about trying to to write in that genre? I would really love to. I haven't had the idea or the inspiration to do so. So I'm sort of like tiptoeing my way in, like you said, uh, with, uh, you know, my ghost in this one. And we'll see the next one has sort of a magical element as well. So right now it's, I'm really just exploring mostly contemporary real world settings with just something a little different, but Somewhere along the line, I have this vision where I would love like something with a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer-esque character, but in her 40s and 50s, because she's had her kids, she's lived her life, and she's still doing this. And that concept really amuses me. I oh, just... Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I would know. buy that book tomorrow. <laughs> That's good to know. I think there's a <laughs> lot of people probably in our same age range That would really respond to something like that. Because I love the idea of what, you know, it's great to have these super characters who have these special abilities. But what's the day-to-day like? It really, that that fascinates me. Yeah, and like 7 o'clock in the evening, she's really tired and, you know, just wants to watch TV for a little while. And yeah, yeah, (laughs) there's so much you can do with that. Dropping the kids off at school and then there's a, or picking them up for the prom and there's vampires and oh, not again. Right. And do the kids know? So, yes. (laughs) And her daughter's got a really obnoxious boyfriend, but you don't really want to say anything. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and but doesn't really understand why they have so many crucifixes and and wooden right. elements in their you know ha- sharp pointy objects in their house. Right. So yeah, there's there's so, something there. Who knows someday. <laughs> so fun, so fun. So from that first NaNoWriMo experience, uh, did uh, did that idea that you had for that first NaNoWriMo did that become a published book? That did. Well, I never actually got very far in the actual NaNoWriMo. This would have been in 2010. I only got about 10,000 words in. Okay. But it did ultimately, because, you know, life happens. And at the time, my kids were small. They got lice. We decided to move to a new house. All sorts of crazy things happened. (laughs) So I didn't get a chance to finish it that November. But I did finish it the next year. And it ultimately became my first book, which is The Coincidence of Coconut Cake which is a chef and a restaurant critic set in Milwaukee. Love it. So, yeah. yeah. One thing that I've, that I've learned about NaNoWriMo is sometimes that that particular project becomes something, uh, but sometimes it, it doesn't have to. Just the – I think that probably the most important thing about NaNoWriMo is that it teaches people that it can be done, that you can get from point A – to point B all the way through the end of a book and you can write the end or you can at least by the end of that 30 day period have a good idea of where something's going. I, I think it just proves that it can be done. And and sometimes that little boost of confidence is more, uh, you know, means more than, uh, you know, than anything else. 100% agree with that statement. It is, to me, NaNoWriMo is all about the routine of writing every day, but also the acceptance that when you're writing that first draft, it's going to be awful. And by trying to shove it all into a month, you're not even giving yourself a chance to try and make it better. It's just get it on the page because really writing is, is about the revision process and what happens after. 
And you learn so much by writing sloppily and, and then looking at it and seeing where it can be improved that I, I, I 100% agree that you, it's really about getting it out there and, and learning how to fix it or to recognize when it can't be fixed, which I think is just as equally important. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, is the kindred spirit supper club, your fifth published book? It is my fifth published book. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. So, you know, having... Having, you know, the when people are hearing this, uh, Kindred mm-hmm. Spirits came out yesterday. Uh, so congratulations on, on the book launch. Thank uh, you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, but this is book number five for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking back on that on that first book, um, you know, the, the coincidence of uh, Coconut Cake mm-hmm. has your um, – of course, your creative process has changed and evolved since then. But can you look back on that first one? And and do you see new patterns, new habits, new ways of approaching the story that you've developed over five books? I do. I think that first time around, I spent a lot of time that those early drafts were just full of exposition and information dumps. And I started with like a phone ringing and just a lot of uh, show not telling no telling, not showing the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the very common mistakes that first time authors make. So what I've realized that I do now is when I'm drafting, I can skip a lot of that stuff because I, I've trained myself that when I'm writing a scene, I don't just put a whole bunch of information out there. I, I can formulate it almost second nature and get it to come out as action and plot and description versus just saying what happened. 
Um, so those are sort of, I, I've skipped a couple steps that I used to have to painfully revise in my early books, if that makes sense. <laughs> I sort of learned to write closer to a finished version. Not that what I write is anywhere near finished. Now my bigger problems are um, I put all this stuff in there and then I have to connect it and get it all to work together. Um, that was something that I still had to do in my first books, but that seems to be my bigger problem. Now I have too many ideas and I want to put them all in my book and make them all work. And that's just not how it works. You have to have a little bit more thought, a little bit more planning on how stories might weave together. That makes sense. <laughs> Every writer wears, um, you know, different hats. There's there's writer Amy, and then there's editor Amy, and uh, you know, then there's you know fearless critic Amy, and uh, <laughs> it, it's almost like writer Amy has learned what what editor Amy is going to expect, and and you, you already know how to how to deal with your editor self ahead of time. Yes, though I will say that is sometimes a big drawback because. People, I think it's a lot of times first time writers expect that, oh, books are going to get easier to write the more books that you write. And while I may not be making as many of the beginner mistakes that I made, I think it's actually more difficult as you proceed because one, you're, you, you're that critic in your head and you're already hearing the things that your editor might say or that readers might say. So you're almost stopping ideas before they can even fully form because you think that it's not gonna work. Um, and then of course there's the thing where, well, I can't use that idea because I already used it two books ago, or I can't even use that character name because I used it two books ago. So <laughs> there's little things like that that happen, or you're more familiar with the books that are already out there. So you may have this great idea, but maybe someone just published a book you know, in the same, about a cupcake bakery in New York, which there's 5,000 up, but um, <laughs> just oh, to yeah. use an example. <laughs> That doesn't seem to stop everyone from writing cupcake stories and nor should it because cupcakes are delightful. Right. <laughs> well, well, you know, five books in, do you, do you wind up uh, kind of making a shorthand list of, of what the book includes so that you can, you know, quickly reference back to, to three books ago? Oh, I, I use this name there. Uh, do, do you have a way of tracking these as, as your back catalog gets bigger and bigger? I don't. That's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You can have that. Thank you. Um, I should. Uh, that's a wonderful idea. Uh, I know that because sometimes I will find I am talking to people about my books and they'll ask a question about my, my first book, Coconut Cake, is pretty solid because it's I was working on just that for five years. So that I feel like I have a good memory of all the things that happen and all the character names. But when you start getting into books two, three and four, I'm like, well, what was the husband's name again? So I don't even remember. Uh, yes. But I do wonder how people like, say, Stephen King go about that. Uh, I wonder I, if he has a binder. I would love to know that. I, I bet he has someone on staff who just tracks all that stuff. I bet you're right. Yeah. I, and I yeah. think I've even read stories with where George R. R. Martin actually has he one does. or two people who help. Yes, him. I've read that too, that they're, they're like story Bible people that just yes. get track all the minute details. That's so crazy. That is crazy. Uh, so I ask people this all the time, Amy, and I know listeners mm -hmm. are probably sick of hearing me ask this, but um, <laughs> I, I love to, to know 
where a story begins and because I'm fascinated by the beginnings of stories, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one moment, uh, you know, you're just sitting there and the kindred spirit supper club doesn't exist in any form. It, it doesn't exist. And then either a, a character, you know, walks into your mind or you, you watch something on TV or you read something and a, a setting comes up and then maybe a character walks on the stage. And then in, in some form, the kindred spirit supper club exists. And then it's, it's your job as the writer to, you know, to, to, to do all the excavating and dig the story out. And, you know, then it comes to us in, in a, as a fully formed book. Um, but what, what is that moment of creation like for you? Is it, how, how does it begin? That's a great question. So my books always kind of come together like I'm going through the pieces of a puzzle box. And so they'll, I'll find like the corners first. And so in the Kindred Spirit Supper Club, and these, this usually happens, you know, a couple of years before I even start writing. And it just sort of floats in the back of my head. But I had this idea of, one, I wanted to set a book in the Wisconsin Dells. It's a strange, quirky little part of Wisconsin. It's the water park capital of the world. But it's equal parts kitschy tourism and beautiful natural setting. So it's this really fun part of the state that I think is everything that's great about Wisconsin times 100. Uh, And so I wanted to set someone there. Well, one of the things that's really popular in the Wisconsin Dells are these duck boat tours. And I always, and I'm like, gee, my brother actually did that for several years or for one summer, several years ago. Uh, And it's just this crazy little pun filled tour. And I'm like, gosh, that would be a really fun job for a character to have. And I, so that just sort of sat in my head for a while. And then next up, I'm like, you know, I really love in Wisconsin, we have this tradition of, I shouldn't say it's a tradition, but these, they're supper clubs, which are really, it's just a different kind of restaurant. It's really more about the experience than um, like being a steakhouse or something else. So it's, they all have a separate little flavor. And I wanted to add that into the book. So now I had a supper club and the Dells with the duck boat tour person. And then I was doing research in the Dells and there is a bar on the main drag called Ghost Molly's Showboat Saloon. And I started Googling, who is this ghost Molly? And there isn't a whole lot of information out there about her. She died in like 1932 and she lived in the apartment above the saloon and, um, and she died in the apartment. So apparently she'd like flick lights on and off or slam doors, uh, but not really do too much else. So now I had this ghost Molly floating in my head and I started incorporating her into the story and what her story might've looked like. And that's, so I had my little corner pieces and then I was able to start filling in the little middle pieces of my puzzle and how those all connected. So that's kind of where that comes from. (laughs) I love that. So at, at that point, do you, uh, like what did, well, first off, do do you consider yourself a pantser or a plotter? Do do you know the story before you start drafting? Do do you spend more time in pre-planning uh, than than maybe a, a pantser who just starts, you know, with an idea and a character and just starts writing this character and just sees what happens? What what's your your pre-planning process like? I'm definitely more of a plotter, but I give myself a lot of room. So I I go through and. I plot the big moments 
So I know where it's going. I know how it's going to end. I know who my big characters are. And then, but the, the spots between those big points, I give myself a lot of room to try different things because you never know what's going to happen. I've had right. characters like surprise me. I had a character in a previous book who was married and I didn't know he was married until I wrote it on the page, uh, which complicated things for everybody. So I, I, I'm somewhere in the middle, but I definitely need to know where I'm going. I am not someone who can just have a character and go. I don't know how people write like that. I think it's a little crazy. <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend who's a mystery writer. And she doesn't know how her books end when she starts writing. <laughs> I'm like, how do you do that? That's insane. Oh, that's so funny. That's so Isn't funny. Isn't that crazy? It so, is. Yeah. Well, if we know anything about publishing, uh, the business of publishing, the Kindred Spirit Supper Club began, uh, you know, a year or more before now. Yes. Uh, you know, there's you go through the whole writing process and then there's the, uh, you know, turning it into an editor and then going through edits and, 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 and you know, then, you know, the several months of the publishing process that goes on. So when did when did this book project begin for you? It pro I know it was. The ideas were starting to come together before my last book came out in 2018. Okay. Because I remember being on tour and people would say, what's next? And I'm like, well, I don't have a book deal yet, but I'm pretty sure the next book is going to be set in the Dells with a duck boat tour driver. <laughs> and that's all I ha I said. Uh, and lo and behold, you know, three years later, there's the book. So, yeah. So, but I, so, I, I was a little worried I was going to lose it. <laughs> so it was, it, it began well before the whole yes. COVID uh, craziness yeah. that happened. And the reason I ask that is because um, your your protagonist, Sabrina Monroe, um, winds up back with her family through a series of, of circumstances and back in her hometown, um, jobless and, you know, um, trying to figure out what life is like. And, uh, you know, over the last year, I feel like that has happened to a lot of people um, and for, for completely different circumstances. Don't get me wrong. The Kindred Spirit Supper Club is not a pandemic book at all. It no. has nothing to do, nothing at all to do with that. But I do think that a lot of people can relate to um, some of the story, especially in the beginning, just, you know, kind of the 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 setup, the what the, what the character's going through. I think a lot of people can relate to that in unique ways. Now, um, were you uh, kind of surprised that that it turned out that way? And, you know, that you had just that the that you were your characters kind of commiserate in that interesting way. I it. It was definitely a component. Well, it, it can't. I, the her moving back with her parents all came about. You know, you you end up with. I have a character who's a duck boat driver who isn't the typical age. Most duck boat drivers are college students, so she's a little bit older and she's miserable. And the last thing she wanted to do was be there. So when you have a character at that starting point, you kind of have to start asking questions. Well, why don't they want to be home? And why is she so miserable? And as I filled in all of those questions, it became apparent. And and growing up with this family secret of being able to see ghosts and what would that be like as a teenager, especially when you have a not very nice person in your school who likes to pick on you anyway, and now you're the weirdo. So how would that affect somebody? So that's kind of how the anxiety started snowballing. And the, the idea of 
of her being a journalist because I picked the worst possible job for somebody who has social anxiety to do. Because um, <laughs> I would terrible at that. <laughs> well, isn't that kind of fun though? That that uh, you know things that you would never want to do to yourself or to a friend or someone that you love. It's so much fun to do that to a fictional character and say, well, I'm just going to see how she handles this and, and throw stuff like that. At what happened? Absolutely. Yeah. That that was fun. So as I was uncovering it, this whole idea of student, the student debt came into it because that is a big problem in our country is all of these young people have this mountains of debt and can't afford to live on their own. So that's kind of where that came from. And then filling in all the blank with the social anxiety. but to the idea of the pandemic, she had, she was suffering from anxiety and depression before the pandemic started. But I do think um, me going through the pandemic definitely seeped into it because there were moments where I was writing scenes where she was having a panic attack and I was, you know, in the middle of a pandemic trying to figure things out for my family. And so those were very real emotions and experiences that I was having. Uh, so I do think a lot of that fell onto the page. Not that I experience at all what she experiences on a daily basis, sure. but it was a stressful time in the world. And it was, there is some real stuff that's behind those emotions. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anything, um, you know, we, we all ought to, um, develop a little more empathy through all of this that, that we can see how, uh, you know, other people are living, you know, even though we just get a little taste of it, that that's, that's an important thing. It is. And I'm glad you actually brought that up because I have teenagers and I see, you know, just from their perspective, how teenagers treat each other. Uh, and it isn't always very empathetic and sure. with all of the, difficulties over the last several years I think what the world is lacking is empathy and I really wanted to explore and the idea of we we shouldn't make snap judgments about people because we don't know what their life is like and people can't know what Sabrina is experiencing because they can't see the ghosts that have been around her her whole life and I so that's something that I've been trying to improve in my own life is to not make snap judgments about people because I don't know what it's like for them on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure. And, and I, then I created Ray who he doesn't do that. He looks at somebody truly sees them and then adjusts his behavior and his interactions to make them more comfortable and to be more empathetic to them. And I, so I, when I was writing Ray, I was getting feedback from people He's too nice. He's too good. He needs to be someone who needs to improve. And I'm like, why can't he just be perfect? Right, um, right. So I kind of, I mean, he's, he has his flaws. We all have our flaws. But he's, he's I, I really wanted him to be somebody people could point to and say, yeah, that's a good person to look up to, a good way to try and move about the world. Yeah. So, yeah. We we mentioned earlier your your love of fantasy and uh, how there are some fantastical elements to this book. Um, you know we, we won't just say that it's an all in all uh, all in all fantasy book, but there are fantastic elements about it. Yeah. Um, we 
Sabrina's ability to see ghosts. Um, is that um, were you ever thinking, you know, this is this is just a a straight ghost story or do the ghost, um, you know, provide um, a, a vehicle to, um, you know, as, as a metaphor for other things? Oh, that's a good question. This is what I love about doing interviews like this, because you make me think about my book in a way I had not thought about before. Um, These are just all questions that I think of, you know, when I'm reading the book. I love that. Well, I I think if I'm being honest, she started out as just an interesting, a way to take normal life and make it a little different. Sure. Um, So she, she came about as just an interesting character because I had this very vivid vision in my head of like a young Reese Witherspoon or a young Kristen Chenoweth who's perky and blonde and just full of life yet she's not um and and I liked her as a foil to Sabrina as someone who could kind of nudge her in certain directions and then I also liked that I was able to create so many parallels between their two stories and kind of tie that all together. And at the end of the day, what I liked about Molly is she was always that person who was there for Sabrina. She very much played, oh, this is bringing back flashbacks to my early plotting. Um, Once upon a time, I wanted to do this story using the fantasy tropes of, Oh, it's the myth, the myth one that Joseph Campbell wrote about. I'm looking sure. for the book. The hero <laughs> Joseph with a Campbell. thousand faces. The, yes, that one. Um, so the hero's journey. There we go. I knew I was going to get there. So I was going to sort of use that as my structure um, for the book was to do a hero's journey where it didn't quite work out that way as I was plotting it along. But that was sort of the idea of Molly was she was this, you know, the wise wizard figure. And ultimately, the character had to move on on her own to get, you know, to, to succeed in whatever her, her goals were. So ultimately, it was kind of that. So I don't know if I answered your question, but there it is. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Um, this book was, was so much fun um, to read. is like a, a really a breath of fresh air. Um, do you, When you... Uh, when you think about people reading the book for the first time, and maybe this is their first experience with with one of your works, um, when they get to the end of it and they close that back cover, what do you hope they're left with? I hope they want to hug the book. Uh, I like to say <laughs> my books are comfort reads and that after you're done with them, you'll want to give the book a hug because it just was, oh, that was just what I needed kind of feeling. Uh, so that is my goal. I want people to feel good about themselves. I want them to feel good about the time they spent with my characters. And I don't want them to be stressed. I want them to know that going into my stories, they do end well. You know, they're not gonna be some sort of dark turn where there's a wedding and everyone gets slaughtered. Uh, so, <laughs> got a fantasy on the brain. I can't get it out. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what I want. I want people to leave feeling comforted. Well, the Kindred Spirits Supper Club is available everywhere now. When you're hearing this, uh, you can get it in Kindle edition 
or paperback or audiobook if you love to listen to audiobooks the way I do. Um, there's going to be links to it in the show notes of this episode where you can grab it. And uh, Amy, uh, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? They can find me online at my website, amyereichert.com. And from there, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I have a newsletter you can sign up for. Uh, I'm involved in a, a women's writing group called Tall Poppy Writers. Uh, so there's links to all of that stuff. You can find Excellent. Me. We'll put links to all those great places in the show notes of this episode. Amy, uh, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you, Hank. I had a great time. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com. Are you looking for software that helps you bring your novel to life? Novelize is a web-based writing app which allows you to access your work on any device with a browser and an internet connection. Right from your desktop, laptop, tablet, or smartphone. Just get the novel written. Say goodbye to sticky notes. With our notebook on the side, you can keep track of all the important information you need to write your novel. We keep distractions to a minimum, help you track your progress, and encourage you to write more novels. You can even use the same notebook for your novels in a series. Outline, write, or organize your novel by switching between modes. You can write your outline notes while you're writing, and you can move scenes and chapters around anytime in the organize mode. Choose between the dark and light theme to help prevent eye strain so that you can stay immersed in your book. Novelize, the app for writers by writers.